السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ نحمده ونصلي على رسوله الكريم اما بعد فاعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم رب اشرح لي صدري ويسر لي امري واحلل عقده من لساني يفقهوا قولي ربنا زدنا علما بعد حفظ العلم حفظ memorization what else does hifz mean to preserve to guard to protect what al ilm knowledge how is knowledge protected how is it saved how is it saved from being wasted when it's implemented before implementation comes what learning it but not learning it in a way that as soon as a person learns it the next moment he forgets it or the next day he forgets it but learning it properly so that it becomes a part of him so for that what is necessary memorization understanding correctly keeping it firm in our memories so hifz al-ilmi preserving knowledge protecting knowledge guarding ilm memorizing it hadathana abdul aziz ibn abdullah qala hadathani malik an ibn shihab an al-a'raji an abi hurayrah qala he said abu hurayrah radhiyallahu anhu he said that inna an-nasa indeed the people yaquluna they say akthara he has increased abu hurayrah abu hurayrah meaning abu hurayrah he relates many ahadith more than anyone else people said this about him he said walawla and if it was not for ayatani two verses fi kitabillah in the book of allah ma haddastu hadithan i would not have narrated even one hadith even a single hadith any hadith at all summa yatlu then he recited what those verses which are they which ones are they innal ladina yaktumuna ma anzalna min al bayyinat until ar rahim so those two verses he read them before the people and then he said inna ikhwanana indeed our brothers min al muhajirin of the immigrants kana yashghuluhum it would keep them busy what would keep them busy as safq bil aswaq safq sad fa qaf this is used for a transaction for a deal a bargain so in other words dealings buying and selling where bil aswaq in the marketplace so our muhajir brothers what would keep them busy in the marketplaces their business their business transactions wa inna ikhwanana and indeed our brothers min al ansar of the ansar kana yashghuluhum it would keep them busy what al amalu fi amwalihim work in their properties so they had to do a lot of work to look after their properties and what were the properties of the ansar it was a garden it was the orchards that they had the lands that they had so they had to work in it constantly so that would keep them busy so the muhajirin were busy the ansar were busy wa inna aba hurairah and indeed abu hurairah kana yalzamu he used to remain with he used to stick to to who rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam He used to remain with the messenger sallallahu alaihi wasallam why bi shiba'i batnihi to the fill of his stomach in order to satisfy his appetite bi shiba'i shiba' is when a person's appetite is satisfied when he has eaten to his fill so bi shiba'i batnihi to satisfy the hunger of his stomach that is what would satisfy him wa yahduru and he would be present 
Mala, what not, yahdurun, they would be present. Meaning he would be there where others would not be there. So he would see what others would not see, and he would hear and learn what others would not. Wayahfazu, and he would memorize Mala Yahfazun what they would not memorize. Because many of them would come and they would attend, but then soon after they would leave, they would go back to their business or they would go back to their work. But Abu Huraira, he would stay with the Prophet ﷺ. He would stay in the masjid. And then he wouldn't just learn and forget, but he would learn and stay and memorize. So this is how he would وَيَحْفَظُ مَا لَا يَحْفَظُونَ We see that many people, they said that Abu Huraira, he narrates too many ahadith. Obviously, Some of them said this in surprise, that it's amazing how he narrates so many ahadiths because he did not embrace Islam that early on. We know that he migrated to Medina when? When? In the seventh year of Hijrah. So much later compared to many other companions. But still, if he was narrating so many ahadiths, that was remarkable. So people were amazed, they were surprised that how come he narrates so many ahadiths? And there were some other people who are still present today who were envious of him Or they did not like the fact that he narrated so many ahadiths. They objected. And this is present till today. That some people, they doubt his ahadiths. They don't take them seriously. And some go to the extent of even rejecting them. Some say that he was not as faqih. He, he was not as strong in his understanding compared to other companions. So we will not accept his hadith, but we will accept the hadith of others. But what do we learn? That all of the sahaba, are they not trustworthy? Yes, regardless of when they became Muslim and when they came and joined the Prophet ﷺ. So people were surprised that how come he narrates so many ahadiths? So he made it clear to the people in his own life that why is it that he narrated so many ahadiths? Because of two reasons. The first reason, fear of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Because we learn in the Qur'an that concealing knowledge is a crime, it's a sin. And the verses which particularly moved him to convey the ahadith that he knew, were which ones? Those that we learn in Surah Al-Baqarah. That, إِنَّ الَّذِينَ يَكْتُمُونَ مَا أَنزَلْنَا مِنَ الْبَيِّنَاتِ وَالْهُدَى Those people who conceal what we have revealed, what we have sent down, of the bayinat, of the clear proofs, the clear evidences, wal-huda, and the guidance, مِنْ بَعْدِ مَا بَيَّنَّاهُ لِلنَّاسِ After we have made it clear to the people, فِي الْكِتَابِ in the book, أُولَٰئِكَ Those people, يَلْعَنُهُمُ اللَّهُ وَيَلْعَنُهُمُ الْلَاعِنُونَ Allah curses such people, and all those who curse, curse such people. Meaning the curse of people, the curse of the angels, the curse of Allah is upon such people. Upon who? Those who know, but yet they conceal knowledge. Allah has revealed the Qur'an, not so that it is hidden, not so that it is not known to the people. No, He has sent it so that people come to know of it. And if we know about it and we don't tell other people, then what are we doing? This is a huge crime. Allah's curse is on such people. إِلَّا الَّذِينَ تَابُوا Except for those people who repent, وَأَصْلَحُوا And they reformed, وَبَيَّنُوا And they also clarified, they conveyed, فَأُولَٰئِكَ أَتُوبُ عَلَيْهِمْ وَأَنَا التَّوَّابُ الرَّحِيمُ So such people are those who deserve the mercy of Allah. Those who convey. So this is the reason why Abu Huraira رضي الله عنه, he conveyed to the best of his ability. After the death of the Prophet ﷺ, he could have taken care of his own life. Throughout, until the Prophet ﷺ was alive, Abu Huraira dedicated himself to learning. He could have done something else afterwards. But after his death, what did he do? He started conveying. He started teaching. 
And he did not stop at any point. All he knew, he conveyed. So this is the reason. It's because of these verses that he conveyed. And we learned that in the Qur'an, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala criticizes such people who conceal knowledge. We learned, for example, about the Bani Israel. Their scholars, وَتَكْتُمُ الْحَقْ You conceal the truth, meaning you should not conceal the truth. At the end of the first Jews also we learn, وَمَنْ أَظْلَمُ مِمَّنْ كَتَمَ شَهَادَةً عِنْدَهُ مِنَ اللَّهِ Who is more unjust than the one who conceals a shahada that he has from Allah? And what is meant by shahada? Ilm. Knowledge. He has knowledge, but he hides it. He conceals it. He does not convey it. He does not pass it on. Such a person is a great criminal. So this is the reason why Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu, he conveyed whatever he knew. The second reason why he conveyed was what? Because he knew. He didn't convey things that he made up himself. No. He conveyed whatever he knew. And when a person has knowledge, then he is responsible for conveying. And Abu Huraira radiallahu anhu, he realized that responsibility. When a person has knowledge, it should not just be a means of pride for him that yes, I know this much or yes, I have accomplished this, I have studied this. Alhamdulillah, it's a great blessing. You should be happy about it. Allah says, فَلْيَفْرَحُوا But this farh, this happiness should also lead us to doing something, right? That this blessing we should also share with others. So a person who has been given ilm, he should also convey that ilm. So because he knew and he was confident about what he knew, this is why he conveyed He tells us about this. How did he acquire knowledge? We learn in the hadith that he learned and he memorized what other people did not. Why? Because other people were busy in their businesses. They were busy in their, with their properties, with their families, with their orchards, whatever it was that, that kept them busy. And Abu Hurairah, he dedicated himself to learning. At the cost of what? At the price of what? Business, money, convenience, rest, relaxation, entertainment. He sacrificed everything. And he dedicated himself entirely, completely to learning, to acquiring knowledge. And he stayed in the company of the Prophet ﷺ. Why? In order to fill his stomach. That is what filled his stomach. Nothing else would. Nothing else would satisfy him. Ilm, deen, is what satisfied him. Why? Because his desire, his yearning, his hunger was for what? It was for ilm. It was not for wealth. It was not for entertainment. It was not for clothes. It was not for worldly things. It was for ilm. And whatever he found to satisfy his hunger, meaning his physical hunger, the hunger of his stomach, he would take it. And this is why we learned that many times he would hold his stomach because of hunger, the pain that he would be feeling in his stomach. And he would go and not even ask other people directly. And the Prophet ﷺ would see that he would be hungry. And once he was given milk, he didn't say, I want bread, I want gravy, I want this, I want that. No, whatever he was given, he took it. People who are serious in life are not picky eaters. They're not choosy. They're grateful for whatever they get. And they eat that. Because they're eating just to satisfy their hunger, just to fulfill their need. They're not living to eat, but rather they're eating to live. There's a difference. And this is the reason why he was not picky about it. Whatever he was given, he ate. Whether it was dates or it was milk, it was an incomplete meal, it was a little bit of food, whatever he had, 
he would take it gratefully. Because all of his energies were dedicated on what? On learning. Not on satisfying his palate, his tongue. There are two pleasures. One is of the tongue and one is of the mind and the soul. One is of the tongue is very temporary. The moment you put food in your mouth and you swallow it, gone. Correct? But ilm, once you have it, you enjoy it at that moment and for every time that you remember it and every time that you use it and every time that you talk about it, every time you apply it and every time you spread it. That benefit is long term. That enjoyment is long term. So our concern should not be to satisfy our tongues, but should be to satisfy our minds. Because that is a means of رَفْعُ الْدَرَجَاتِ in this dunya and in the akhirah. And if a person just eats and eats, focuses on his tongue, dissatisfying his, his taste, then this is not a means of رَفْعُ الْدَرَجَاتِ. And we also learn over here in this hadith that Abu Hurairah radiallahu anhu, because he spent less time in worldly things, this is why he was able to dedicate himself to learning. Other people were not able to dedicate themselves to learning. Why? Because they had other things to do. And yes, it's not for everybody that every person should leave every responsibility of theirs and dedicate themselves to learning. It's not possible for every person because every person's life, situation, responsibilities are different. You may want to dedicate yourself, but you have a family. You can't leave them. You have a responsibility and you can't leave it. So every person's situation is different. Abu Hurairah he was able to do that. So this is why he dedicated himself completely. We see two things from this. To acquire knowledge, what is necessary? Dedication. If you notice the word over here, that Abu Hurairah, he used to, كَانَ يَلْزَمُ رَسُولَ اللَّهِ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وسلم. Lazim. What does lazim mean? To make something mandatory on someone, meaning always with. So he was consistently, always, all the time, there. All the time. So if we want to acquire knowledge, if we want to strengthen our ilm, whatever it may be, we cannot do it, some here, some there, skip a day or two, skip a week or two, no. If a person has such an attitude towards seeking knowledge, you will not be able to keep knowledge. You will not be able to gain any knowledge. You have to dedicate yourself. You have to be focused And the second thing that we see here is that sometimes a person has to suffer. Suffer what? Poverty and hunger and fatigue. And it comes in different ways to different people. Because everyone's tests are customized, right? Because every person's situation is different and Allah knows people more than they know themselves. So Allah tests you in the way that it's customized for you. Literally, it's as though it has been made for you. So every person is tested in different ways, but these tests will come. Some people, they get distracted by them. So for example, if they have a little bit of pain in their body, if they have a little bit of pain in their head, they will constantly think, I have a headache, my body's hurting, my body's hurting, I'm hungry, I'm thirsty, I want this, I want that, and what's going to happen? They cannot focus, their pain will overpower them, Their hunger will overpower them. Their thirst will control them. When you're fasting, aren't you hungry? Aren't you thirsty? Aren't you tired? What do you tell yourself? It's okay, it doesn't matter. Just a little bit more time. I can't eat right now. I can't drink right now, so don't think about it. Isn't it? If we're able to control ourselves at that time, then that means we have the ability to control ourselves at other times. 
So the more you think about, think about what you're suffering from, the more it controls you. And one of the most effective ways of dealing with your pain is what? Do not think about it. Flight. And you know how sometimes I have problems sitting for a long time? And I said to myself, it made me think. If I am forced to sit, I, there was no other choice. I mean, you have to sit. Yeah. So I sat through nine hours of that flight, and it made me realize, why do I, you know, even think about the pain? When I'm sitting for seven hours or six hours or, you know, even going from here, going back home, you have to sit and study. Yeah. So sometimes it makes you think, because when you're forced into a situation, we do it regardless. yes. yes. You know, people with all kinds of ailments, they are flying. Of course. You know, but yeah. when it comes to sitting down, sometimes we make excuses. Yeah. And I'm talking about this for myself. I mean, that made me reflect. So it's literally a mind game, right? Your thoughts really affect your body. Yes. Don't think about the pain, but now we see that people are showing it that they are in pain or are talking about it, while we cannot help them, it's only Allah can help them. Yes. Like Yaqub said, إِنَّمَا أَشْكُوا بَسِي وَحُزْنِي إِلَى اللَّهِ I'm not going to cry because I want you to tell me something. I'm saying it to Allah. Yes. So please don't show. Yeah. It's very true because many times it happens that when we tell other people constantly, then even they feel helpless. It's as though you're transferring your pain to them. Hmm? You're transferring your negative energy to them. I just want to share that I read it once that uh, the food that we desire so much sometimes, the taste in our mouth lasts a couple of seconds. And after that, if if we were eating that food or another food, it would be the same. It's just that first few seconds of eating a morsel or something, we are like that. And I just want to share one thing more. I suffered a lot of pain in the past. And so Staza was doing uh, at that time Dara Quran here in the, in the summer. And I desperately wanted to listen to the Dara Quran. I wasn't able to sit very much. And my desire to listen was so much that I thought that if it, I have pain and whatever, Allah is going to take care of it because I'm going to listen to this and I'm not going to miss. And believe it or not, but in that hour or two hours that I was listening, I really, really forgot what I was suffering. Yes. And Alhamdulillah, subhanAllah, Allah cured me as well. But it, it is possible. Yes. It is possible to do that. Yes. And you see, this seeking ilm, it also becomes shifa. It also becomes a healing for people. Because, you know, we can try many things to heal ourselves. Sometimes they work, sometimes they don't. And some conditions are such that you can't completely heal them. They're just a condition. You can't cure them. So all you need is pain management. So one of the most effective ways to manage your pain is what? Keeping your mind busy. Satisfying your brain. Because once that is satisfied, then you will forget about other things. They will not be that big of a deal to you. Because you think about it and it works. called pseudo-pregnancy and that has happened and mind plays amazing games that we don't even we have to really this is a gift of Allah to humans really the, the brain it is you know, to so think much potential. a woman is pregnant in her brain yeah. and to be pregnant she actually grew in her stomach and everything it's called a placebo effect because the mind plays those games yeah. on you 
being a student of Quran and being a student of the worldly knowledge as well, I learned for myself that yes, the ideal situation is إِنَّمَا أَشْكُوا بَسْتِي وَحَزْنِي This is the ideal situation. One should try to attain that level. But everybody doesn't have that level. So if a sister is coming to you and trying to do her catharsis, be there. Listen her. Of course. Tell, don't say her, don't tell it, don't show it. Because I noticed many times we do that. We say that, but we have examples of Prophet ﷺ. Many times Sahaba came to him and told him, what's it? It's hurting him from other Sahabi. So when you are, people are living together, it happens. So may Allah give them that level that yeah. later on they would be able to do that. But sometimes this catharsis really helps. But ideally you try to ask only to that person or do catharsis to in front of that person who can really help you. Mm-hmm. It reminds me of Ustaza. She said, always try to tell your problems, to share your problem with one who is Sahib Al-Quran because then he will give you the suggestion according to that. Mm-hmm. So, we sh- I hope yeah. you understand. Definitely. <laughs> but because Alhamdulillah, the, the people sitting over here, Alhamdulillah, you guys have at, at a different level of knowledge and so this is why such a suggestion is being given, that when you are experiencing some difficulty, some pain, then ask Allah for help. Okay? Because think about it. If, for instance, you tell your sister, your brother, your husband, your children, whoever, have they studied the Qur'an the way you have? Probably not. And it's quite possible they will suggest to you, you know what, take it easy. Right? And they tell you, leave it, it's okay. And okay, you leave it, you, you take a break. But if your mind is not busy, your pain is really going to conquer you. I go to a support group, which is um, for a chronic condition, which I don't want to disclose. And there's a lady, she came and she just cried and cried and cried in that group. Because she said, the more she complains about pain, because this is a condition where you're in constant chronic pain. The more she complains to her family, her marriage was getting affected. Her children were getting fed up of it. And they would say that's that's enough because even us, if we complain about a small headache, once, twice, people are willing to listen. And after that, they're like, you know what, just go take a Tylenol. Yeah. Really? Yeah. At the end of the day. And, he, and that's why even as mother, mothers, we get tired of our children complaining to us. So we have to realize that uh, except Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, none can help. Yeah. And I've also gone to some support groups of pain management. And one of the therapies that they tell you to do is spiritual management. And th- these are non-Muslims teaching spiritual management, pain management. Mm-hmm. This is for cancer, chemotherapy patients, all kinds of chronic pain management. Mm-hmm. And what better spirituality than the Quran and the Sunnah of Prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam? And you see, there are some things that you have to do, no matter how much you're hurting. You have to do. Like for example, when I had my baby recently. After a few days, I had to get up and I had to shower my son and I had to pick him up and I had to hug him. I mean, no matter how much other people took care of him, he needed me, right? So there's some things that no matter how much pain you're in, no matter how ill you are, no matter what your condition is, you have to do it. So similarly, take your learning in this way, that no matter what my condition is, I have to do it. For the first baby, like my mother gets a baby, that first baby was, will be headache and hard to manage. But they became three, four, five, six. Yeah. Still you are doing it. Yes. And you forget your pain. Yeah. You don't even feel you are sick. Very true. You are attending everything. When you don't have a baby, you have a headache, the whole house has a headache. Right? When you have your first baby, then you know the, the child is unwell or the child is making you sick and everybody's like, he's your baby, you still have to nurse the baby. You still have to take care of the baby. And then by the time you have your second, third, then... No big deal. It just gets easier. 
and easier. I remember when I didn't have kids, I used to look at people who had kids, I'm like, how do they do it? How do they live? And how do they do this? And then when I had one child, I would look at people who had multiple children, I'm like, how do they do it? Now I have two. I'm like, yeah, it's possible. It's manageable. You can do it. Anyway, so we see in this hadith that uh, in order to acquire ilm, two things are necessary. First of all, luzum. And secondly, suffering. Right? That is suffering, it doesn't mean that a person should seek to suffer, but if, if suffering does come his way, then he should bear it patiently. And he should bear it with the hope that Allah will reward him for that. Because remember that whenever a person goes through some difficulty, there's two things that you need for reward. Sabr and secondly, ihtisab. Patience and secondly, hoping, expecting reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So even when you are going through difficulty, hunger, fatigue, poverty, whatever it is, seek reward from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And we see one unique thing over here, that Abu Hurairah was not able to go and do business like other people. He was not able to go and buy and sell like other people. Many times it happens that when a person wants to become serious in deen, in learning, then for example, he has to quit his job. Right? Or he has to agree to take less. Isn't it so? A person could be working at, you know, at a very good place, making much more money, having a very convenient life. But the goal, the purpose of this life is not to make money. The purpose of this life is what? Do something useful. Useful for your akhirah, to make your akhirah. So for that, sometimes you have to compromise on your dunya. You have to compromise on your dunya. But never fear. Never ever fear. Because what do we learn in the Quran? That Allah raises the status of those people who are given ilm, who are given knowledge in this dunya and in the akhirah. Abu Hurairah example is very clear. We see that how he would suffer from hunger and very few times he would go and serve this family, you know, just to make a little bit of money. And a woman whom he would help out when she would be traveling and she would stop in her journey and she would say, Abu Hurairah, prepare food. And then he would prepare food, bring it to her and she would eat it. And then afterwards they would continue the journey, the entire family. And Abu Hurairah would basically be serving them. And then a time came when Abu Hurairah was made the governor. And then a time came when he was given so much status in the society that that woman is the one who married him and then she is the one who would prepare food for him and bring food to him. So how everything reversed. But this cannot come, success cannot come without dedication, without suffering. You ask any person who is successful in life, any person, no matter what kind of success they are enjoying, and they will tell you, about the difficulties that they suffered from. They will proudly tell you that how this started with nothing, how they had to sit through so many classes, how they had to stay away from their family, their parents, their enjoyment, whatever. But you cannot reach a high place except with difficulty. And many times it happens that, you know, Alhamdulillah, Allah has given many people a lot. And even if we feel that we have not been given much, we still have some through which we can fulfill our needs. You know, sometimes I'm amazed. People have, you know, their faces are covered with makeup and their clothes are perfectly fine and they say that they can't take a course because they cannot afford it or they can't buy a book because they cannot afford it. Honestly, makeup is expensive. Clothes are expensive. If you can afford that, you can also afford books and courses. Isn't it so? So it really depends on what you want. It really depends on what you want. Then shortage of money doesn't matter. Then fatigue doesn't matter then these things don't matter much. 
thing. I've seen people writing professional exams, including in my family. And when they're writing, it's like five, six months before this schedule is dictated to them. You can only sleep this many hours. You can only, think, you know, you don't have that much time to eat anymore and this and that, and especially socialize with family. Remember, my husband was writing, he didn't have time for his family because he had to prepare for it. But I was just realizing that that end result was valuable to them. That's why they did it. So if you value this ilm, it will be easier for us to do this. Right. That when a person values something, then whatever he has to suffer in its way, then even that suffering becomes a pleasure. Even that suffering becomes something to be happy about, inshallah, in the hereafter, even in this dunya. You know, my mother, she tells us about what she had to suffer in order to acquire knowledge and in order to be able to convey the message to other people. Like, For instance, she tells us about how when she went for a PhD, and it was a, quite a while ago, and you can imagine people going from Pakistan to UK. I mean, there's a huge difference, isn't it so? And especially a couple who's uh, always been studying, always been spending their money, not on houses, not on businesses, not anything like that, but... You know, books and education and courses and going and traveling to learn. And she tells us about how when they were there in her kitchen, she said she had only one pot and one plate. That's all she bought. And one big spoon, one big spatula. And she said that plate she would use to cover the pot to cook. And that same plate she would pour the food into and they would eat out of both. Many times when people go abroad, where do they spend their money? Clothes, shoes. But... What I see my parents being proud of are their books, what they have accomplished, their libraries. That's what they're happy about. Not about clothes and shoes and things like that. Because these things, they keep changing as time goes by. But what stays with you is ilm. more yes. and the common example is how we have education for free here whereas people in um, back home in Pakistan they don't have it for free and people over there they want to, they cry to go to school here people they cry because they don't want they to don't go want to school to so you see the difference it's when people suffer to go uh, to gain knowledge they appreciate it more and yeah. that's why it's necessary to suffer to gain knowledge yes very true and we see that People who suffer in this way, who endure that difficulty, who stay firm, who don't give up, they are the ones who actually make a change. Look at the effect of Abu Huraira on the entire ummah. If he had not endured that difficulty, would he be able to have this effect? No. Would he be able to create this change? Not at all. So if we want to be effective, if we really want to impact the world in a good way, then we have to give this learning our best. And for that, if we have to endure difficulty, Alhamdulillah ala kulli hal. The scholar who had come to talk to us about how, what our goal is and how are we going to achieve it, Muhammad al-Sharif I'm talking about, and he also said the same thing. He said that the ihsan that you see in people's lives doesn't happen by chance. Yes. It's just not that they are lucky. They have worked for it. And look, he was sharing some of his stories, and he was a one-man band too at, this, at one time. And look at al-Maghrib today, and look how sought after he is and how knowledgeable he is. As soon as we began Kitab al-Wahi, we learned about how Prophet ﷺ, he suffered when the Wahi was coming to him. And now look at how the Ummah is benefiting from the Qur'an. Because without his suffering and dedication, we wouldn't have been benefiting from the Qur'an. Mm-hmm. So that's like a modeled example for us yeah. to see. Other than me, besides me, probably knows uh, hadith more than me. And that was uh, Abdullah ibn Amr. But yet he didn't convey the same way. And uh, because 
Abu Huraira, he wanted to do it. He wanted to spread the deen through this. Yes. He had that dedication. Whatever you're good at, you should dedicate your time and everything to that. Yes. So I was just thinking, you know, so many people can benefit others. Like I, the other day I was, me and my husband were thanking my mom because she's taking care of my daughter throughout uh, like every day. And we we're just thanking her. And she said, this is the most I can, this is the least I can do because I can't learn like you guys, but at least I can, you know, take care of the kids so you can learn. Yes. And she's probably listening online right now too. So... <laughs> And one thing we see in Abu Hurairah whose character is that he didn't make any excuses. People who achieve something in life, people who are successful in life, they don't make excuses. He accepted Islam when? Much later. He came to the Prophet Wasallam seven years after the Hijrah. He could have said, oh, I've lost that chance. I've lost that opportunity. It's too late. But he did not stop. He did not stop. He did whatever he could and he went ahead of many, many others. Some people say, I'm too old now. I know I'm 30 now. My days are over. No, they're not over. Some people say, I'm 40, I'm 50 now. My days are over. No, they're not over. There was a lady who was in her 70s who did the Al-Huda course in Pakistan. And I remember at her takmil, when she walked up to give her reflection, it was amazing to listen to her. Imagine, she was 80-something by then. It took her quite a while to complete the course, but she did it. So no matter how old we are, and she didn't just do Talim al-Quran, she went to the Hadith course. And soon after that, she passed away. But, you know, it's never too late. No matter what stage of life we're at, no matter what age we're in, we can always do what we want to do. There are people who are in their 50s, 60s who go for mountain climbing. Many companions, they were very old when they embraced Islam. They didn't say our lives are over, forget about it now. No, it's never too late. The Prophet ﷺ himself was 40 years old when he received the wahi. What the story of Brother Asif, I did mention it long time yeah. ago. The gentleman who became Muslim at 60 years old. And he didn't stop him the way he wanted to learn the Quran. He said it's too slow here. People were teaching him here. He went to Syria, he went to Jordan. And he said he was living in a small room and there was no heater. It was cold and he had to bath with ice cold water. And he said the gentleman who was teaching him knew broken English. So during the day he would listen to the sheikh and at night this gentleman would explain to him what's happening. And that's how he studied Arabic. And now look at how much, what a difference he's made to North America. Yeah. How old was he? 60. 60. After 60 he learned grammar. And he learned to read the Quran at that age too. He had never learned to read the Quran. Yes. How many of you are 60? So you can learn grammar. Inshallah. Where there is a will, there is a way. There is a way. And make dua for him and his family, inshallah. May Allah guide all of them into the path of the deen. Ameen. Ameen. Haddathana Ahmad ibn Abi Bakrin, Abu Mus'abin, Qala Haddathana Muhammad ibn Ibrahim, Ibn Dinarin, An ibn Abi Dhibin, An Sa'id ibn Maqburihi, An Abi Huraira. Qala, he said, Qultu ya Rasulullah. He said that I said, O Messenger, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam, Inni asmaru, indeed I hear minka from you hadithan kathiran. Many a hadith. I hear so many good things from you, but ansahu, I forget it. I'm not able to remember everything. Qala, he said, Ubusut rida'ak, spread out your cloak. Spread out your cloak. Fabasatuhu, so I spread it out. Qala, he said, Abu Huraira, he said, Fagarafa, meaning the Prophet gharafa. بِيَدَيْهِ He scooped with both his hands. With both his hands. 
غرفة is to you know take something in your hand like a scoop of water. Okay, so غرفة بيدي he took the Prophet ﷺ with both his hands. He scooped with both his hands into the cloak of Abu Hurairah radhiyallahu anhu. Summa qala and there was nothing in his hands. It was you can say a gesture. And then he said to Abu Hurairah, "Dumuhu, collect, join it, meaning fold, gather up your garment, wrap it around yourself." Fadlam tuhu. So I wrapped it, meaning I embraced it, I collected it. Famanasitu. So I did not forget shay on anything bardahu after it. He said, "I did not forget anything after that." حدثنا إبراهيم بن المنذر قال حدثنا ابن أبي فديك بهذا أو قال or he said غرف بيده فيه that he scooped with his hand into it so in other words he indicated with his hands as though he had something in his hand and he poured something into the cloak of Abu Huraira رضي الله عنه this was a miracle of the Prophet صلى الله عليه وسلم Allah سبحانه وتعالى he can give many miracles to his prophets and this was one of the miracles that were performed at the hands of the Prophet ﷺ when Abu Hurairah complained to him of his forgetful memory and he told him to spread his cloak and then scooped with his hand. And after that, Abu Hurairah he never forgot whatever he learnt. This hadith does not mean that we should do the same thing. Okay? That we should go to somebody and have, you know, spread out our cloak and have them scoop something in or out or whatever. No. This was a khas incident that was specific to Abu Hurairah that was done specifically by who? By the Prophet ﷺ. But this shows to us the importance of strong memory. Right? The importance of strong memory. Because if a person's memory is not strong, then he cannot learn much. He cannot retain much. And then how can he apply it? And how can he pass it on? What's the chapter? Hifqul in, right? Retaining, guarding knowledge. How can you guard it if your memory is weak? How can you pass it on if your memory is weak? So in order to strengthen our memories... We have to do something. Now, what is it that we can do to strengthen our memories? What do you know and what do you do? That the main thing we see here is that Abu Hurairah he was very halis to learn more, to remember more. And that desire led him to finding out ways you know, to remember. And he went to the Prophet ﷺ and asked him. So the key is desire. Okay, you have a lot of desire to learn, but still you can't keep things in your head. Dua. Making dua. Very true. Get rid of distractions. So whatever is clouding up your mind, okay, get it out of your head. Clear out your system so that you can retain what is more important. Stop sinning. Leaving sins. Imam Shafi'i, he complained to his teacher, Wakir. He said, شَكَوْتُ إِلَى وَكِيعِي سُوءَ حِفْظِي فَأَوْصَانِي بِتَرْكِ الْمَعَاصِي وَقَالَ إِنَّ الْعِلْمَ نُورٌ لَا يُعْطَى لِعَاصِي It is not given to a person who commits sins. First of all, accept the fact that we need improvement. Because sometimes we, don't, we ignore that. We don't uh, accept our weakness. We don't realize it. We don't want to acknowledge it. But it's necessary that we do, because if we don't, how can we get help? Revision, constant revision. Memorize after Fajr, yes. There are many ways that can be adopted to strengthen our memories. First thing is, use your brain. Use your brain. Don't let your brain become weak. If you don't use 
a part of your body, what happens to it? It becomes weak. It becomes rusted. For example, if you spend long hours sitting, long hours, and you don't exercise, you don't move your legs much, then what's going to happen? Your knees will be affected, your legs will be affected, your back will be affected. And as time goes by, what will happen? Your body will become weaker and weaker. So the way of strengthening our bodies is what? By using them. So how do you want to strengthen your brain to improve the memory? That use your brain. Do something creative. Do something different. Do something that will make you use your mind. I was reading about this woman. She had written how when she had her baby, she was so busy with her baby. She realized that when she would talk, she wouldn't know how to complete her sentences. And she would not be able to organize her thoughts well. And she thought, mommy brain. Everybody else told her, it's mommy brain. But she said, a long time passed by, over a year, and she couldn't understand why she was being like that. She said, no more excuses. I have to get over this. And she thought about how she was before her baby, how she was before her marriage. What is it that kept her mind sharp? And she said she used to read a lot. She used to read a lot. And she thought about it that since her baby, she had read perhaps maximum five books. So she started reading. She took up a challenge, reading 50 books within I don't know how much time. And she started reading and reading and reading. And she got her brain strength back. In order to prevent Alzheimer's, um, they have done a new research, and the study is that you have to take up new languages to study. So exercise your brain. And you know, when you do your grammar, okay, when you're trying to figure out the word structure and the bab and the root and the meaning of the word, what are you doing? You're exercising your brain. Math. Okay? This is also what? Exercising your brain. So use your brain. Exercise your brain. Do something different. Many times we're very used to cooking. You know, do something different. If you don't do gardening in general, it's summertime. Go do a little bit of gardening. And think of it this way. Not that you're wasting your time and instead you should be studying. No, this is also a way of looking at the khalq of Allah, appreciating it, looking at the ayat of Allah. I'm not saying obsess about it so you're spending hours and hours into it. But do something that will make you use your brain more. Because when you will use your brain more, it will become active. It will become sharp. Calculating marks. So for example, marking test papers, right? Doing something different, not just reading, reading, reading by your own, you know, your own, but also using your mind, looking for mistakes, you know, critically analyzing something. I think to challenge yourself, challenge your mind so that it'll like think further than you just normally do. You yes. Know? Take upon a, cha- take upon a challenge to yourself. Yeah. Challenge your brain. Like recently I played Scrabble and that really helped me. Honestly, I don't think I've played Scrabble since, I don't know how long, years and years now. And I started playing Scrabble with somebody and, you know, I was like, I have to defeat them. And not just make words, but get more scores. So that helped me use my mind more. So do something like that. They suggest that you should do crossword puzzles yeah. that come in the in the newspaper all the time. Yeah. You don't have to sit for hours and obsess about it. Just do one or two even. They keep sending you emails every day almost to do uh, to exercise a different part of your brain. Yeah. And it's for free. You can just register. I think um, they go through a trial. Yeah. So use your brain, exercise your brain. Secondly, exercise your body. When you are physically fit, when you exercise, then you become happy. 
Okay? And as you exercise, more oxygen gets into your body, more oxygen, you know, in your brain. Your brain becomes more active as well. More blood. Okay? Your, so your brain becomes more active. So you need your brain to be active. So for that, exercise your body. And every day, do something. Every day. Whether it is a brisk walk, or it is five minutes or ten minutes on the treadmill, or going up and down the stairs deliberately, or going out into the backyard and breathing, Okay, running out of the children or even playing with the children. Okay, do that. You need exercise. Because if you don't exercise your body, your brain will gradually become slow as well. Another very important thing, sleep well. I'm not saying sleep and sleep and sleep, but sleep well. Okay, sleep enough. That what is sufficient for your body. If you sleep less, it's not good. If you sleep more, even that's not good. If you sleep at a time when your brain should be active, that is not good. When you wake up in the morning, your brain is most fresh at that time. And if you lie in bed, making yourself sleep, the time when your brain can be most active, you're suppressing that. Isn't it? So at other times, how can your brain be active? It can't be. So sleep enough. Sleep at the right time. Your sleeping habits have to be good. Another very important thing, have brain-boosting foods. Have such foods that will improve the health okay, of your brain. What is included in that? Omega-3. Almonds, nuts, fish, seeds, they're also beneficial. Okay, dates, berries, blueberries. Okay, summer is coming, eat blueberries. Honey, honey is also good. Fruits, okay, in general. Pomegranate. They say that pomegranate juice is very good for your blood pressure and that also affects the health of your brain. Raisins. So alhamdulillah, you know about these things, right? So write them down, put them on your fridge so that you can eat them regularly. Include them in your regular diet because they really have an effect on you. If your iron is low, you don't have energy. You can't do much work. Honestly, you can't. insist on bringing um, all the healthy fruits for breakfast because they said there's no point in the early morning session of extra setting if you're not going to be fed well, if you're not going to be you know, exercising well and whatnot. So they would have a mix of everything. Yes. And one of the most important things that you need to strengthen your brain is water. Ma. Okay? You need it. If you don't drink enough, you're going to have headaches. Your body's going to ache. You're going to be tired. You're going to be sleepy. You're going to be exhausted. You won't have the energy. Start drinking more and more water so that you feel more fresh, more energetic. Another important thing is to improve your memory is pay attention. Focus on what you are learning. If you study something with focus, okay, complete focus, complete concentration, perhaps you can study it within 10 minutes. You can remember it within 10 minutes. But if you spend an hour without focus, you won't have anything in your head by the end. So focus on what you're doing. That will make a lot of difference. Another important thing that we can do to strengthen our brains, our memory, is that we should visualize what we're trying to remember, make connections. And for that, you have to fully understand I was watching a video the other day. It was a TED video by this person who uh, was trying to research how, you know, people win in these memory competitions. You know, people will have 
pages and pages of random numbers and they will memorize them and they will have a competition and literally people win. Okay, or they will have Allahu alam how many decks of cards and they will arrange them in different orders and they will memorize them and they'll be tested on it and they will know everything. So he was trying to research as to how they do it. So he was studying them and this one person said to him, anybody can do it. I'll show you how to do it. And he showed him. One of the techniques was that imagine, visualize what you're trying to memorize and make connections. Make connections because then you're able to memorize better. You're able to retain it for a longer time. And this person, he went to research and he ended up winning the competition with the few techniques that he picked up. And he said, anybody can do this. You don't have to be someone who's very, you know, different. Okay. I think we must all have experienced it one time or another in a tafsir class. When we are listening to the lecture with total focus, we are immersed in the ayahs. Like we are listening with our ears and we are imagining as if this is happening. It actually happened in Medina, in, in Mecca. And the Prophet ﷺ, how he was tortured, what was happening... You don't really need to even read the lesson once. And this is a little bit of an exaggeration because these things pass quickly if you do not go and revise. But you have that lesson off the top of your head that you listened so intently. So I think focusing and immersing yourself in what you're doing is also very helpful. Very true. Focus. It's very, very important. Visualize, imagine, make connections. I remember... Once um, somebody was helping me study, prepare for my exams, and they said, make images of what you're trying to remember. Draw. Anatomy in many things, I mean, you learn in the same way. So you draw diagrams, pictures, and you draw connections, Pictionary, something like that. So mind maps as well, right? So they really help you remember. Verses of connection to the verses of the Qur'an. So now we should all make it a point to memorize some portion of the Qur'an as well. Yes, It will help us in our memorization. And honestly, when you're trying to memorize the Qur'an, what is it that really helps you in memorization? When you look at the text again and again, when you can literally, you know, see it in your mind. Isn't it so? When you can visualize the text, when you can visualize the meaning, when you are going with, you know, in sequence. Okay, first the believers are mentioned, then the disbelievers are mentioned. First Jannah is mentioned, then Alfar is mentioned. When you when you visualize it, you're able to remember it much, much better. I know where this verse is located in the Quran, and she's like, oh, I remember it was on the right side of the page. So that's how they remember. So the more you do it, the more you read it, the more you can have the image in your brain. One more thing that you should do is reduce stress. The more you will stress out about not being able to memorize, you won't be able to memorize. The more you stress about, you know, forgetting, then you will definitely forget. Okay? So reduce stress. And also sometimes, for example, we're sitting in class or we're sitting and we're trying to study, we're trying to memorize. Stress about things that you have to do or things that are happening in life or things that other people are doing or they're saying, that will not let you remember. That will not let you memorize. That will not help you study at all. There are two things when it comes to stress. First of all, the factors that cause stress. And secondly, your reaction to it. Factors that cause stress, can you avoid them? Can you get rid of them in your life? Not entirely. There could be some things that you could help, but not everything. Isn't it so? So for example, if your hungry children cause you stress, what are you supposed to do from before? Prepare food from before. So that as soon as you see they're getting hungry, Feed them. So stress eliminated. 
But there are some things that you cannot eliminate. You cannot get rid of. So what should you do at that time? What matters is how you react to that stress. How you react to that stressful situation. And over here, we need to remember patience. We need to remember that this is the, the decree of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. We need to remember, you know, وَإِذَا خَاطَبَمُ الْجَاهِلُونَ قَالُوا سَلَامًا you know, mu'ridun from lagh, right? We need to remember all of these things and that's what we need to do in such situations because they impede your learning. It's my personal experience. When we started grammar, I was so much terrified by the grammar and especially when Ajurumiya started. And I was so stressed that my stress hormones were not letting me just to grab a single thing. You know, they were, the level becomes so high and I was sweating really. And then like you know, yesterday when I was thinking, I was fighting with myself that, okay, what will happen to the extreme limit? What will happen? You will not pass. You don't know that thing. Then I start realizing and relaxing myself, the stress hormone, you know, pushed away. Yeah. And then the things start coming in my mind. Alhamdulillah, alhamdulillah, I did good. Any, And the practice more, I did the practice and I just do dua also. Yes, very true. Another important thing for the health of your memory, for the health of your brain is take a break. When you're doing something in a routine, Every day, every day, habits, you don't like it, frustrated, boring, difficult, hard, again, again, again. You don't enjoy it anymore. When you don't enjoy it, your brain shuts down. Even if you sit and read and read and read, it's not going to go in. So you need a break. You need to become happy. Okay? You need to relax yourself. Get your energy back. Get your enthusiasm, your motivation back. And you're a human being. You're not a machine. Even machines need break. Don't they? So you need it even more. I'm not saying, so from now take a break till the end of the course. No. Whenever your schedule allows you. So for example, on the weekend, if you're not busy, go to a park. Just walk. Go to a place you haven't been to for a very long time. Just go there, walk, sit in the sun, enjoy the fresh air, enjoy the greenery. Do that. You don't have to make a huge plan. Okay, everybody has to go. We're going to go to Niagara Falls. We're going to book a hotel. Oh, it's too difficult. Forget about it. No. Walk across the street and go to the park and sit on the bench. Do that. Take a break from your daily routine. That will really make you happy. And when you're happy, you'll be able to remember much better. Your brain will be much more healthy. Another important thing, pray salah with concentration. Research proves that meditation helps your brain. In research, it has been shown that meditation produces changes in the brain that no other relaxing activity can cause. It produces such changes in your brain that no other relaxing activity can create. So, focus again, right? And it is also said that these effects that meditation causes on your brain can be seen after a few short sessions even in a people who normally don't meditate. And meditation can help reduce anxiety, improve concentration, and clear your mind of negativity. Salah. Wasta'inu bisabri wasalah. So pray with khushur. Remember what you are saying. Concentrate. And that will help you remember things better. Think about it. When we don't focus in our salah, what happens? We don't know if it's, it was a third rakah or fourth rakah. We don't know if we recited surah what in first rakah and which surah in the second rakah. Isn't it? When you have khushur, then you remember, then you're conscious. So it overall improves the quality, the health of your brain as well. So don't take salah lightly. And of course, istighfar and dua, even they help a lot when it comes to improving your memory. 
So use these techniques, drink water, take a break, exercise your brain, challenge your brain, do something different. It's also said that doing things differently to challenge your brain. So for example, if you're used to doing something with one hand, do it with the other hand because you will end up using more brain. So obviously when it comes to sunnah, don't do that. Okay, But other things, you know, you could try that. Similarly, if you're used to cooking in a particular way, try a different technique. Okay, do things in a different way so that you're challenged to use your brain more. When you will use your brain more, then your brain will strengthen, inshallah. Subhanakallahu wa bihamdika nashadu wa la ilaha illa anta nastaghfiruka wa natubu ilayk. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.